Okay, turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. I just want to also just give you a quick exhortation here. Because um, today, there's, today what I want to do here is more of a teaching um, with, a, with an exhortation at the end. But, uh, but a quick exhortation um, just having to do with what's been going on the last couple weeks uh, spiritually is... Uh, if you if you were here two weeks ago, you know Pastor Glenn preached an excellent message on fasting and prayer, and then called the church to a, a church wide fast for for a day, um, which was last Friday night through Saturday night, uh, which we we continued to do, and then met together uh, on Zoom for the prayer meeting part of it. We were going to have two in person prayer meetings here. We didn't do that. We went one over Zoom, and it was great. Um, but I don't think it's any coincidence the devil hits hard on the week that we're going to hit hard. So um, here's, here's, here's the exhortation. Now's the time to actually fight harder, not back down. Now's the time to double down in the way that you fast, pray, love, give, do all those things harder. Uh, and, it's, and it's because the devil has shown his hand. And, and now we're in better position. Now we're in better position to fight than we were two weeks ago. And so I just want to encourage you that you have every tool that you need uh, and, that, and that we really believe in big God, little devil. So that's an important distinction to make. Um, but just be, be encouraged that the people that, uh, that our entire staff uh, is encouraged right now and not going uh, 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 down in the dumps. Uh, we see this as a great opportunity, and we still continue to look to the Lord to see what he's doing and to hear what he's saying. So, um, yeah, that's good. All right. So, John chapter 6. We've had a lot of recent messages about fasting and praying. That was two weeks ago. Uh, about casting your cares on Jesus. Um, about fighting for joy. About developing intimacy with Jesus. Uh, there's, a, there's been a lot of exhortation uh, there's been a lot of encouragement of like, here's something to do, here's something to do, here's something to do, here's something to do. And, those, and that's good. We need that, right? We need to know what to do. It's like you're just living this Christian life. You're like, what am I supposed to be doing? Okay, and there's, there's an aspect to, to being before doing, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's this relationship that feeds this relationship, that feeds this relationship. It's this great circle, right? Um, but it starts out, it starts out this way. Um, so there's been a lot of messages, especially recently in the last few months, just about, about how, to, how to pray, how to act, how to vote, how to do all these things. And these are good. As I was reading through John chapter 6, I come across this verse that I'm going to read to you in a second. And I was like, oh my gosh. And the Lord just shines this greater revelation on the why behind the what's. Right? We've been covering a lot of what's. Here's what to do, what to do, what to do. And, and there's been whys with each of those given, with each of those messages. But the Lord just, he, he kind of panned back for me. And, and I read this verse and I was like, gosh, I probably read this verse a you know, hundred times conservatively. And, and, and I, I knew it was there, but it's never, it's never had the light sh- shined on it like it just had. So um, anyways, I started studying it all out and, uh, and the Lord kind of gave me this message. I'm, I titled it, Who Can Accept It? with a question mark. That's one of the questions that was asked um, of the group that hears Jesus talking here in John chapter 6. So Jesus taught many controversial things in his time. Did you guys know that? Maybe not. Okay. 
We don't have time to go through the whole uh, first four books of the New Testament, but I promise you there's many controversial things in there. Things that were controversial uh, politically in the, in the time, things that were controversial religiously going up against the Jews, things that were that just controversial to the way that the world worked, right, to the world systems. So he said he came, and if you read the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is like the great controversy, right? He comes and he goes, he goes, you've heard it said, but now I'm telling you this. So he just undoes everything, and people just really loved that. They really hated it, and, and it, was, it was really hard for them to swallow, especially the religious leaders. And they spend the rest of his years, the rest of his years, these people spend trying to kill him, okay? So he, he's very controversial. Some of those exact same truths that he taught that were, that, were, uh, that were fought over then and that were offensive then are still fought over now and offensive now for the same reasons, right? In political circles, in religious circles, even now in between domina- denominations of, of churches, of evangelical churches, there's things that are fought over and definitely uh, definitely offensive to the world systems, okay? So that being said, um, sometimes there's bleed over from these world systems. Sometimes there's bleed over from the way that the world thinks of things. There's bleed over into the church. I know it's hard to believe that the church can be influenced by the world, but because it's supposed to be the other way around, right? The church is supposed to influence the world, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to do that. But sometimes, sometimes we do in the church as it is on earth, right? And, we, and their stuff gets influenced in. When that happens, we in the church can actually be offended by the very things that are supposed to draw us in and bring us closer to Jesus. We can actually take offense in the same way that someone outside of the kingdom of God could take offense because there's been bleed over from the world, right? Because we're, we're seeing it now, not through, through heaven's lens, but through the world's lens. So we get offended. This actually happened to a group of Followers of Jesus in John chapter 6, and I want to I read that verse. I'm going to start with the end, right? Because it's the kingdom. Everything's backwards. So I'm going to start with the end. I'm going to read you John verse 6, and, or I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 66. Jesus has been talking, and, and he says something, and then the Bible says, from this time, or some version might say, because of this, like because of what he just said, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Did you guys know that was in there? It's cool that these verses are, are just every, everywhere. The Bible is just so alive. So this, Jesus says or does something, and because he says or does something, a group of his disciples, the Bible says disciples of Jesus, or his followers, we know it's not the 11, right? A group of his followers from that moment on turned away from Jesus and never followed him again. It's incredible, huh? I read that verse and I was like, oh my gosh. I know I've read that. I know I knew this was here. But these are people that saw everything Jesus did, that heard, that were taught directly by him. Anybody in here been taught directly from the mouth of Jesus 2,000 years ago? Walk with it. No, nobody did. They were taught by him. They watched him live. They saw him. They, they, they saw that, his, that he practiced what he preached. Okay, that he was genuine, that he wasn't just coming to shake things up for the, for the sake of shaking things up. He came with a message that was tangible. They saw signs, wonders, deliverances, and lives changed before their eyes. This, this group of people was in, or so they thought. What could Jesus have said or done that was so bad that it caused them to instantly, in a moment, turn from him forever? 
after seeing all these things? That's the question that I wanted to answer. I'm like, Lord, what, what was it that was so offensive that was turned, the, turned disciples of Jesus away from him? I wanted to figure out what caused them to fall away because I don't want to be a part and I don't want anyone within the sound of my voice to be a part of the great falling away that is coming that 2 Thessalonians talks about. Okay, there, when it talks about a falling away, it's not talking about people who are outside of the church. It's talking about people who are in the church, falling away, leaving their first love. I don't want to be a part. I don't want anyone in this church to be a part of that. So I started asking these questions. So now we work backwards. I'm going to sum up the first. John chapter 6 is a mega chapter. There's like 70 verses, 71. Not going to read them all. But um, I'm going to sum up the first part of it, and then we'll kind of get into it, because we have, to, we have to get to a point where there's four things that I believe that Jesus said that he was addressing specific heresies or bad ways of thinking in these people when he said these things. And I believe those four things were the four offenses that they took where some of them bought in, or some of them that had bought in said, yeah, this doesn't shake us, which were the 11. That was their response. They said, well, we've already decided in our heart that you're God, so we're, we're good. And then the other ones went, no, we can't do that, and they left and never came back. So the, the story kind of goes like this. In John chapter 6, well, in John chapter 5, we see, we see Jesus healing at the pool of Bethesda. I actually preached a sermon on that like maybe a month or two ago. Um, and so he, he heals, and then the, the religious leaders are like, you healed on the Sabbath. And he's like, but, his, but he's not crippled anymore. But it was on the Sabbath. But he's not, and they just didn't get it. And, uh, and then we come off of that, and then it says sometime later, it starts chapter 6, Jesus sails across the Sea of Galilee, and he lands, and he, he takes his disciples up uh, to a little mountaintop to teach them. And he turns around, and there's 5,000 people that are trying to look for him because they had heard of his miracles, and he's like, okay. So he went up there to have a Sunday school class, and he ended up with a conference, and he didn't know what he was getting into. And, and so he, uh, it's 5,000 men, right? There's a discussion. Were there more than 5,000 people? My opinion, yes. Probably there were more than 5,000 people, Yes. Um, but for the sake of the story, we'll just say 5,000 because it doesn't make the miracle smaller that it was only 5,000 people that got fed with a boy's lunch and not 15,000. Still would have been a good miracle. So they sit down on the, the uh, Philip, you know, is like, or he turns to Philip and says, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip's like, yeah, that's funny. And, and, then, and then Andrew goes, well, here's the kid that has a lunch, some bread and some fish. And Jesus is like, all right, tell everybody to sit down. We'll take care of this. And he feeds 5,000 people, and there's 12 baskets of bread left over. We could just stop right there just for a second. I know we've heard that story a lot, but he fed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch. This was not like, it was not like they were miraculously filled by eating a minute amount. He did not break that bread into little tiny pieces so everybody could have a taste. Everyone ate until they were full, the Bible said, and then there were leftovers. That's just how he does stuff. So there's this massive miracle witnessed by thousands, right? Okay, Jesus, the, the sun starts to go down. The disciples go down. The disciples go down without Jesus. Jesus kind of goes to pray by himself. The disciples go down. They get in a boat, and they start sailing to Capernaum. So they're sailing to Capernaum, and in the middle of the night, it's, I mean, it's dark, they're about three, three and a half miles into their trip, and the winds kick up, and the storm, it starts getting really rough. And then they look out, and they see somebody walking on the water, okay? So we're like, oh, yeah, it was Jesus, and walk on the water. We've seen that in the flannel graphs since we were five. No, you have to understand, they didn't have flannel graphs, nor had they ever seen anybody walk on water before. They were terrified, okay? 
terrified. The disciples look out, and Jesus is like, it's okay, it's me. That's what he says, it's I. And they're like, oh, okay, let him in the boat, okay? So they'll put him in the boat, everything calms down. And then the Bible says this verse that I wanna study out and maybe preach on sometimes. It says, and instantly they were there at the other shore. Like, did they, did they teleport the rest of the way? It seems, to, it seems to say that they did, that Jesus gets in the boat, and then they're all of a sudden at the shore, which is just the way to travel. I'm just telling you, it's just... <laughs> If you have a choice, just travel that way. So they get there, and then everybody wakes up in the morning that was at the hillside for the feeding, or for the miraculous feeding, and they wake up, and they're like, where's Jesus? We saw the disciples leave, but Jesus didn't leave with them. And, so, and they're like, where did he go? And they're all confused, and then these, these ships pull up, and then they're like, well, we're going to go find him. So they all get in the boats, and they, all, and they follow him, and they get to Capernaum, and they see Jesus, and they're like, how did you get here? We, we saw you not leave. How, you can't be here. How did you leave? And then he does a typical Jesus move, right? He does not answer their question. They all, Jesus says it all the time. People go, Jesus, like, Jesus, how are you feeling today? He's like, I am the bread of life. You're like, what? <laughs> That's not what I asked. Jesus does that all the time. Why? Because Jesus doesn't have time to waste time. And he knows, he's like, let's just get down to where we're really going. And he always jumps right there. That's so nice. Like, he knows how to travel. He knows how to do counseling. Like, you just get through all the fluff. And he goes right to the black and white. I love that. So, starting in verse 25, this is where we'll pick up in in John chapter 6. Remember, this group of people has witnessed miracles. They're following him. They're, they're, like, they're like weird following, like groupy following him, okay? And in verse 25, this is what happens. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, well, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Let me just stop right there. Remember, same group of people that just watched a boy's lunch feed over 5,000 people with leftovers said to Jesus, what miraculous sign will you show us so we know that what you're saying is right? He's like, can you see Jesus? Just like, just with the eye roll, like, oh my God. (laughs) Can you see, like, can you, do you feel his like, now you know why he says things like, oh, unbelieving generation, Right? Or how much longer are you going to, like, you, you understand Jesus' words now? Because they, not only did they see the crippled man, not all these people saw the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda, uh, but all of them seem to have, it's the same group that were fed the day before, the 5,000. It's the same group that noticed that Jesus traveled across a lake without traveling across a lake in a boat. Same group. And they're like, what miraculous sign will you show us so that we know you, you are, would you say? And he, he's like, okay, now you see why he says what he says. 
uh, verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Does this sound familiar? This is the same conversation he had with the woman at the well, with the Syrophoenician woman, except they were talking about water, right? She's like, he's like, oh, I need water. And he's like, well, if you drank of the water that I have, you'd never be thirsty again. And she's like, give me this water, right? It's the same conversation. He's just talking about bread now. So verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So the first thing, if you're you're writing down notes, the very first thing that Jesus said that was offensive, that was necessary to say, but that he knew would offend some, was, I am the bread of life. And here's what he was addressing when he said that. He was addressing their material-mindedness, right? They were material-minded. When they followed him, Jesus is like, you're not here because I perform miracles. You're here because you got a full belly yesterday, and you're hungry again. And they were like, we are here because of that. Like they, like they knew they weren't there for, soul, forever, for eternal soul nourishment. They were there for temporary fix, right? They still had their eyes on the wrong, they were looking for love in all the wrong places, right? They were, looking for, they were looking for some sort of fulfillment that was temporary. Jesus wasn't giving temporary fulfillment. He did in, in that he ate, but even the way that he gave them food was meant to be a lasting impression on them, miraculously, Okay? So he, he gives, um, they follow Jesus for a free meal, not because he was the Messiah. And he points that out and he says, I am the bread of life. And it offended them because it meant that they didn't know what they needed. That was offensive. When someone comes up to you and tells you you don't know what you need, you get offended. And that's what Jesus did. But he was addressing the misguided selfish thinking. That was the first thing. The second thing will start in verse 41. Let me read verse 41 through 51. So at this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it is not, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes from me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Let's stop right there. The second thing that he said to this group of people that offended them was, I came from heaven. They didn't like that. They let, and and what it was and why it needed to be said 
was it tested their faith, okay? Because what happened in the moment is the same thing that happened when Jesus was in the temple reading the prophecy from Isaiah about himself, okay? He stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Everybody in the room goes, could it be that this is the Messiah? And somebody goes, isn't that Joseph's son? And they're like, oh yeah, and then they try to kill him. So they let familiarity get in the way of their faith. So this was said to test their faith. Jesus is making a statement, I came from heaven, to see if they will believe on him and the works that they've seen, or if they will believe what the world says is true. Mary and Joe are their parents. You, didn't come, you came from Nazareth. You didn't come from heaven. We know your, your dad's a carpenter. He built my kitchen table. Like these, these people know. They know what they're saying. It's, it would be foolish if somebody came up to you that grew up with you and started telling you that they were from Egypt and you're like, I know that you're not from Egypt. And they're like, no, I'm from Egypt. Like that would test you for a moment. Well, this was bigger. He's like, I'm from heaven. That's different than Egypt, <laughs> right? That's bigger. And it was a faith test for them. They couldn't, you can't let familiarity kill your faith. That's not where we're going today. But the second thing that they said, that, or that he said that was offensive, was I came from heaven, and it was an assault at their faith to see where they were at. The third thing, let's pick up in verse 52 uh, through 59. It says, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. The third thing, if it's not painfully obvious right now, what he said that offended them was, eat my flesh, drink my blood. That was a hard pill to swallow. Now, you guys aren't squirming because you've heard this before, and you know it's in the Bible. And also, I believe you're spiritually minded, which is what it takes to accept swirly talk like this, right? If you ever hear people start to accuse you, you crazy charismatics, if they start to accuse you of, oh, you guys are just too, like, uh, kind of spiritual and kind of in the class, just tell them to read the New Testament. And you see, and read John chapter 6. Let's see how Jesus addressed the people. I need you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And half of them were like, yes, yes, Lord. We're gonna eat of your flesh all day. We will drink of your blood all night. And the other half were like, you guys are sick. This is weird. And they ran away. That's the third thing. That was the main thing, one of the things that pushed them over the top, this statement, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What he was doing here and why it needed to be said is he drew a line in the sand and he said, and, and, and the line was, Get on this side of it if you're spiritually minded and you want to understand the things that only come by discernment of the Spirit, or you get over here and you refuse it. And that's what happened, because even, even in the 12, we know Judas 
right? The 12 that Jesus himself picked. That's what scripture says. I picked you myself, and one of you is a devil. That's what it says. And the reason, uh, one of the reasons why Judas fell, fell away was because he stood on the wrong side of this line that Jesus drew with this statement, eat my flesh and drink my blood. See, Judas saw Jesus as a means of attaining something for himself, okay? He saw Jesus, that's why Judas was smart. We know that he was put in front, of, he was put in charge of the money, right? They, he was held in high regard, um, like he was an officer among the disciples, right? You have like, right, president, vice president, secretary, treasurer. He was the treasurer, okay? So he, he was up there, they gave him all the offerings, and we know what he did with them. It was, ter- you know, it was terrible how it, how it ended for him. Nonetheless, he was using Jesus as a stepping stone to get up in the world. Whereas you look contrastly at Peter, Peter looked at Jesus as a friend. Because of that line that he drew, people that are using Jesus as means to their own end are refusing the things of the Spirit and cannot understand spiritually discerned things. That's why Jesus spoke in parables a lot, to confuse people who weren't on the right side of the line because it's only for people who are on the right side of the line, the way that he's speaking. Then you, have, then you come and stand over here, and you're like Peter and, and the, the rest of the 11 who are like, you know, we may not understand what he means by this, but we, we sure love him, and we've seen that he loves us, and we're just going to press in to understand more. And, and I know that when he says his body, I know he, I know he, doesn't, mean, I know he doesn't mean that I'm supposed to go take a bite out of his arm, but I know that I'm supposed to feed on what he brings. And I know that I'm supposed to drink from the words that come out of his mouth. And I know that it's true. And I know that, I know that when he prays for me and then when he teaches me, I feel better. Some might say I feel nourished. So I know there's a connection there. And they start, and they, they're not thrown off by the statement, but they can press in to see what the Lord is saying to them. That was the line that was drawn. Does that make sense? Eat my flesh drink my blood was the third offensive thing. The fourth and final thing that he said here, let's start in verse 60 through 64. It says, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? That's the title of the sermon today. Who can accept it? The Passion Translation says something like, uh, like on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is disgusting. Who can, who can accept it? Because it is. And, and if you think of that and just, and just like you don't know anything spiritually and somebody comes up to you and tells you to eat their flesh and drink their blood, it's disgusting. Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? <laughs> I love Jesus. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. So, stop right there. The fourth and final thing that he said, he said, you think this is hard? Wait until my death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Now he mentions ascension, the rest is implied. Okay, the scripture doesn't say wait till my resurrection. It says wait till I float up in bodily form to heaven. That'll throw you for one. That's what he says. Jesus knew that the concepts that he had presented with, I am the bread of life, I came from heaven, eat my flesh, drink my blood, were easy pills to swallow 
compared to watching this man float, because you believe that. If you believe in Jesus, you believe that a man, flesh and blood, floated to heaven and that people watched him like that. That's what you believe. You're crazy. <laughs> somebody, t- somebody told me one time I was talking to them, they're like, I don't know, what y'all believe is crazy. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's totally crazy. You're not wrong. <laughs> like, like I, don't, I don't try to defend that. It's absolutely, it's absolutely crazy, but it's just absolutely true. So I don't care if it's crazy as long as it's true. All right. I'm the bread of life. That attacks material-minded thinking, selfishness. I came from heaven. That kind of sees where you're at with your faith. It's a test of faith. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, draws a line in the sand. Are you willing to be spiritually minded or are you just going to be in the world? And you think this is hard. Wait until my resurrection and ascension. That's where we're at today. What we've experienced, what we've been tested in, what we have seen, heard, and done in our lifetimes is nothing compared to what's coming. And we need to know that. It's not meant to scare anybody, by the way. It's meant to pump you up. These are statements that he made, I believe, were important and necessary. They weren't meant to drive people away. They were meant to draw people close. They were meant to separate and draw close. Now, a side effect is that is in the separation is that those that aren't drawn, drawn close are pushed away, or rather, they run away. That's what the scripture says. Because in verse, we'll start just these last couple verses, verse 65, Jesus says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father's enabled him. Verse 66, from this time, or some versions say, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus turned to the 12 and said, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. They had already made a decision that they could not turn back from, that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And it really didn't matter what came out of his mouth that seemed to offend those around him. Even if it offended them, they weren't going to run away. Even if they didn't understand it, they weren't going to run away. But some who had not decided in their hearts that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, hadn't decided in their hearts that no matter what, they were sticking with him. They hadn't prepared ahead of time for the harsh, offensive truth that Jesus might say, and they might not understand. Those ones, right at that moment, turned away and never followed him again. That's how it happened. When we hear these truths, are we going to be like the 11, or are we going to be like the other group? I think that I think that we all hope, assume, and and it's probably a safe assumption in this room that would we'll be like the the former, that would we'll be like the eleven. I think some of us have probably been put in positions where you you've been tested. Be like the eleven, or be like the other group that ran away. Um, but we have. I just want you to consider: maybe you're untested. Maybe we are untested. Maybe I'm untested. Or maybe the testing that's coming is just harsher than what we've experienced in the past, okay? Because Jesus himself said, you think these things are hard? And they were hard. His followers were like, this is hard. Who can, who can accept it? Jesus said, you think this is hard? 
Wait until later. And I believe he's saying the same thing to us now. If you think this is hard now, just wait until later because it, it will be harder. And it's not a warning saying, you have no idea what you're doing. It's an exhortation saying, get ready now. Get ready now. Get on the right side of the line. Get rid of selfish thinking, right? Get rid of the religious mindset. There's all these, there's all these, and we, we go back to all the messages that I mentioned at the beginning of the service that we preach. We cast our cares on Jesus. We fast, we pray, right? We're, we're loving. We are, we're fighting for joy. We're doing all these things. We can do them knowing that it's making us ready to be part of the right group when we're tested, when Jesus comes as the judge. Because I believe God's good. I believe he's good all the time. But if he comes as the judge and you don't know that he's coming as the judge, you get offended that he comes to judge. But, but it's just part of who he is. It's, it's actually an overflow of his goodness. It's part of his goodness. We have to know that when Jesus comes and he says something, when, when, when there's a truth in Scripture revealed to you, there's no new truth in Scripture, but you can have new revelation on the truth, right? We get, I get new revelation on the same old truth all the time. If you get a new revelation that's offensive, are you going to go, yeah, I don't really like that. I'm just not going to, right? Or you're like, well, I don't, I mean, I know the Bible teaches that homosexuality is wrong, but I've got a friend, and so I just want to, I'm just going to say it's not wrong. Just, I'm just going to make my own truth. Or are we actually going to stand on what the Word of God says despite what the world's saying? Where's the bleed over going to be? Is it going to be on earth as it is in heaven, or is it going to be in heaven as it is? Well, it can't be in heaven as it is on earth. It's going to be in the church as it is on earth. We have to make decisions. We have to make decisions when we're faced with tests that the world is going to throw at you. It's going to throw at us. Are we going to stand on truth in love? Are we going to, st- are we going to do these things? Or are we going to be like the group that just says, nah, that's too much, and run away? I'm saying right now, in joyful anticipation and victory, that we're going to be like the 11. Praise the Lord. I believe that as we are, just Rachel, you can come on up. I believe that as we do the stuff, as we're loving, as we're giving, as we're praying for the sick, as we're fasting, as we're casting our cares on him. Thank you to everybody who brought us food this last couple weeks. That was great. As you're loving your neighbor, as you're taking care of each other, as we're doing those things, as we're in the word every day, as we're in prayer daily, that we're actually drawn closer into his heart. Now, why is that important? Because when we're drawn closer into his heart, our hearts are closer aligned with his. Why is that important? Because when our hearts are closer aligned with his, we start to do everything I prayed about in the beginning. We start to love what he loves. We hate what he hates, right? We're moved when he's moved. We rejoice over the things that he's rejoicing over. We're repulsed by the things that he's repulsing over. And to give you a word from our day and time right now at the end of October, we vote for who he's voting for when our hearts are aligned with his. That's a natural overflow. You want to know who God's voting for? You want to know who Jesus is voting for? Because he is. He doesn't have a ballot. He doesn't need one. You get your heart aligned. You see what things move his heart. Let those things move your heart. And then the overflow is the action, the action steps. Let's stand together.
I'm so humbled that the Lord, the word that he would have for us this morning is a word of, of basically wanting to draw us closer to himself, saying, oh, I need you closer to me. Things are coming that might be harder, and the closer you are to me, the more victory you're going to walk in. There is no fear in any of these words of the Lord because he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, so he can't speak with a spirit of fear. He's not worried about you. I'm not worried about you. I'm not worried about me because we walk with somebody who, what did we just say? Who's greater than all things, right? We sing it, we believe it, we live it. But I encourage you this morning, in light of just what we heard here, to don't walk away defeated, don't walk away confused like, oh, shoot, where am I at? Oh, shoot, how am I going to respond? Oh, shoot. Walk away with the confidence that he wants to bestow on you because you're walking with him. So we, Even if we don't know where we're going, which, <laughs> let's face it, we don't, right? We don't know where we're going. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We, don't, we know, there's an old song that says, we know he holds the future and life is worth living just because he lives. Okay? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That's the reason that we can go forward because we're walking with him. So walk out of here confidently knowing that you're walking with him and then everything else will fall into place. And then you can do the stuff. Get in, your, get in the word, get in prayer, fast, right? Join a home group, like do all these things. These are good things. These are, these are what family needs, right? This is what we thrive on here in the church. Let's pray. Father, I say thank you this morning, God. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you, God, that it's, it's a two-edged sword. I thank you, Lord, that, Father, that every word that bleeds off the pages is just truth, 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 and timeless, timeless, timeless. Father, I thank you, God, that just as true as all these words were 2,000 years ago when you spoke them for the first time, they're true today. You are the bread of life. You did come from heaven. We can and should eat of your body and drink of your blood. And Father, we even commemorate that every time we come to your communion table. Father God, give us courage this morning to draw close to you. Father, we know we have permission to draw close to you. Give us courage to take those steps, to spend more time with you, Father, to get into the word, to ask questions, say, Lord, where where are you at on this? Where are you at on this issue? Lord, what do you think about this relationship? Lord, what do you think about the way that I'm running my household? Lord, what do you think about my marriage? Lord, what do you think about how I should vote? Lord, what do you think about how I'm treating my neighbor, how I run my business? Father, we would let you in, draw close to you, and be moved, Lord, as our heart aligns more with your heart. Our ways align more with your ways, Lord. We start praying the will of God. We start praying the word, as Kyle told us a couple weeks ago. We can pray it confidently, knowing that it's your words. And Lord, we start to see results. We start to see results, even the way that we view life, the way that we make decisions, Lord. The way, things that we say yes to, the things that we say no to, we notice a change, Lord, because our hearts are becoming more aligned with yours. Lord, I thank you, God. Thank you for the permission you've given us to draw close to you. Thank you, Lord, that the veil is torn and we have unhindered access to the throne. I thank you, Lord, that when you look at us, you see Jesus. I thank you for that righteousness that covers us. 
Lord, give us grace as we walk through the rest of this week. I bless every single person who in the sound of my voice with health and long life in Jesus' name.